Welcome to Managed Care Cast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Maggie Shaw, Associate Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. The Center for Sexual Health and HIV AIDS Research Zimbabwe, or SESHA, was founded in 2012 and is headquartered in Harare, Zimbabwe. SESHA conducts evidence-based research related to HIV-AIDS, its prevention, and policymaking, along with providing and implementing sexual and reproductive health education and interventions among several at-risk populations. On this episode of Managed Care Cast, we speak with the Executive Director of SESHA, Dr. Francis Cowan, Professor of Global Health at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, about SESHA's history, its programs, and continuing to make inroads against this four-decades-old pandemic. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Cowan. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and introduce them to Sasha? So uh, my name is Frances Cowan. I'm a professor of global health at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in the UK and director of the Centre for Sexual Health and HIV AIDS Research in Zimbabwe. Um, The Centre, the SESHA as we call it, was founded in 2012 and brought together a number of research projects that a group of us were working on plus um, the sex work program, Sisters with a Voice, that started in 2019. So the centre broadly um, conducts implementation research related to HIV, AIDS and sexual and reproductive health. We work um, with key populations, mainly sex workers, but also um, we have a masculinity stream, a children and adolescent stream, and then a sexual and reproductive health HIV prevention stream. And um, just examples of work we've done in the past has been, um, for example, we were the Zimbabwe research partner on the UNITAID funded um, self-testing Africa initiative, which was a $78 million um, investment over five years to um, shape and stimulate the market for HIV self-tests. It started in 2015 and ran till 2020. And um, SESHA has been instrumental in doing implementation research to support um, introduction, model development, model and delivery development and implementation of self-testing in Zimbabwe, but then also across the region as part of that initiative. So that's one big piece of research we've been involved in. We've um, since 2012, we've been working with UC Berkeley and um, the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine to um, evaluate a Ministry of Health, of course, um, to evaluate um, the national PMTCT program here. Um, And that's been with funding from the Children's Investment Fund Foundation and NIAID in the US. Um, We have um, uh, a large portfolio of um, research related to sex workers and we have this large program that's been, that we set up as a demonstration project for National AIDS Council in 2009 and has now grown to be one of the 
few nationally scaled programs in Africa. Um, and that has acted as a kind of research implementation platform. So the scale up of the program has been very driven by the research that we've been able to do along the way. So we've been kind of demonstrating um, through research gaps in service provision, gaps in access, um, and use that to leverage um, resources to strengthen the program over time. Um, and um, I'm just thinking about other things we've done. Um, in terms of children and adolescent work, um, last, last year, two years ago, we completed um, the Jandiri trial, which is evaluating uh, the Jandiri program. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's a, a Jandiri means it's the Shona for As I Am. And that's a program run by Africaid. Um, which is uh, for a differentiated service delivery model for adolescents, children, adolescents, and young people living with HIV. And we were evaluating it specifically in adolescents. I'm sure you know that they're the age group that's kind of got the highest morbidity and mortality. Um, we were able to demonstrate in a cluster randomized trial that this intervention um, really has an impact on uh, rates of virological suppression, so um, you know, effective uh, utilization of treatment. Um, and that's been taken up into guidelines um, at WHO regionally, nationally. And that program is now, I think, operating in eight countries around Africa, a lot anyway. Um, so that but we're not running the program. We're just, we just work with them as research partners to evaluate it. A recent study showed suboptimal viral load testing in Zimbabwe despite adoption of routine viral load testing only a few years ago. And adolescents were shown to be especially adversely affected by this. What can be done to reverse those trends, not only in them, but in other age groups as well? Yeah, so I think a lot has been done. So although that was published in 2018, it was data kind of, you know, I think viral load testing first got into guidelines in Zimbabwe. In, I might have this wrong, but I think around 2014. And definitely, although the aim was always to be able to provide viral load testing to everyone, there weren't sufficient viral load tests available. So it was done on a targeted basis for those who needed it. And um, inevitably, I think it got used much more in the tertiary referral hospitals and central clinics rather than um, across the country more widely. And that was partly because of supplies and it was partly because um, although training had been done, if you're not doing it all the time, um, it's hard to have it as routine. I think for adolescents, the issue is that um, they are they are a they have always been a difficult age group to engage in care, and it's not just viral load testing; it's also treatment adherence, it's engagement with clinics, and it's and it's for several reasons. But it's you know, as children, they're under the control of their parents or guardians, and as adults, they 
develop the autonomy to take responsibility for themselves. And there's this period in the middle where, you know, they're trying out different approaches. And in a, uh, an impoverished company, country like Zimbabwe, where many adolescents with HIV are themselves orphaned as well as um, having HIV, the problems they face are multiple. So it's not just being HIV positive, but it's potentially being orphaned, um, often in very poor and unsupported households. And so all of those factors conspire against them taking their medicines, getting to clinics regularly, and getting biolog testing done. The trial I mentioned earlier, the Jandiri program, that's a peer-led program um, that's, when I say peer-led, it's led um, by adolescents living with HIV who support their peers to um, take up and remain engaged in care. And it is transformative, I think, that program, because it often children who learn they're HIV positive, the family's ashamed, nobody talks about it, and they live in isolation. And when they start engaging with other people in the same situation as themselves, it changes everything. And they, those children came up with the name of the programme, As I Am, Accept Me As I Am. Do you tailor your approach to the sex workers differently if they're male, female, or transgender? I think the services that each needs are slightly different and they have different health concerns. Um, but I think essentially the approach is the same, that it needs to be very much led by the sex workers themselves, that it needs to prioritize their needs. We work with a lot of peer educators and so, you know, for male sex workers, we have male sex worker peer educators. For transgender sex workers, we have transgender sex workers. And we link those groups either to our clinical services, but also to Ministry of Health services that have been, where staff have been trained to be specifically sensitive to their needs. So I think the general approach is the same that you provide trusted caring services that are of good quality. You work with the community to build the platform, but the, the actual clinical services or approaches you use might differ slightly in different settings. A 2019 study investigated various price points and distribution strategies for HIV self-testing in Zimbabwe. One of the principal findings was that uptake of self-testing dropped precipitously from a free price point to a price point of 50 cents in U.S. dollars, or almost 181 Zimbabwean dollars. To what do you attribute this result? What we found, as you say, is that uptake of self-testing was very dependent on the price of the test. So tests that were offered for free were taken up much more commonly than those that had a price attached to them. We also found that self-tests were taken up much more in rural communities than they were in urban settings. And that's probably because the options for accessing testing is so much more limited in rural areas. So um, 
free tests, I think, e even in rural settings, were more than were about twice as likely to get taken up as they were in the rural areas. Um, just to put it into context, um, you know, I think um, teachers in Zimbabwe are earning thirty to fifty dollars a month at the moment. So, a test that costs two dollars. You're only going to do that if it's going to cost you two dollars on the bus to go to somewhere free to get a test but you might not bother to do it and if it means taking you know the, the opportunity costs related to testing are the transport the time you have to take off work um the waiting time at the clinic and how and then there's also how scared you are of getting the result of course so self-testing is very attractive because it overcomes a lot of those issues but um, if you have to pay for it, whereas you can get HIV testing at a clinic for nothing, then even if people would like to do it, um, it can, that can be a barrier. And I have to say that study was done anticipating that that was likely to be the result. And it was done because there is always a push to make services sustainable and to try and get um, for countries that have lots of aid to take on services themselves. But I think it showed very clearly that if you make people pay for the tests, they won't take them. You know, and so that's, I think that is actually important because it's a nice idea to say we've got a kit and you can pay for it and that will solve our problem, but it doesn't. <laughs> what would you like the world to know about Sasha? About Sasha. Okay, so about Sasha, I think I think um, we're a, a relatively new but growing organisation. Our aim is to do um, locally relevant policy changing research and implement programmes that um, work to control HIV. Um, in the region, improve sexual and reproductive health in the region. And we are starting increasingly to work beyond HIV and sexual and reproductive health. So we're really, we're really interested in policy relevance, public health interventions and ensuring that they are implemented well and at scale to improve the health and well-being of people in the region. One of the things that we have been able to do with HIV is developed so many models of care that can be translated to improve other health conditions. So we, we really have learned how to go after ensuring that people are screened for HIV, ensuring those who are screened positive get on treatment, ensuring those who are on treatment stay on treatment. But the same is not true, for example, of diabetes, hypertension, poor mental health, epilepsy, etc., etc. And these models of care can be applied to those non-communicable diseases to really um, change the health of people in this part of the world. So we're really that's that's really what we are striving to do. And I realise I'm a kind of um, British face of the programme, but as I say, I'm the only one of 200 staff, and um, it's a Zimbabwean-run programme that's um, doing this.
to learn more about Sesha, or if you would like to read our entire interview with Dr. Cowan, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.